0: Well, as I mentioned, we're we're taking some time to focus on uh, how we engage in ministry globally. And so I thought uh, I've been to Malawi four times. Um, so I thought I'd teach you some Chichewa uh, as to, to kind of get our time started, get you get you you know moving around a little bit. So um, and to, to, to say hi, how are you in Chichewa is Mulibuanji. And you can you repeat that with me? Mulibuanji. All right, let me hear it again. All right, 9 a.m. was a little bit stronger. <laughs> let's, let's try it again. That's hi, how are you? Okay? And you would respond by saying, Indilibuinu kainu. So let's, let, let's try that. Ready? Indili buinu. Oh man, so you got that right off the bat. So it's Indili Indilibuinu. In awesome. The word that you really should know though, is how to say thank you, which is zikomo. So if somebody comes up to you and says, bwangi" when you go to Africa you, and you don't know what to say, you could just say zikomo, zikomo. <laughs> <laughs> so but I'm excited, um, uh, one, because I, I, I've been to Africa uh, five times in four years, uh, four times to Malawi. Um, and every time I go, my, I'm just blown away at how big and amazing our God is. Um, there's just something about being here and knowing that God is at work here, jumping on a plane for 40 hours and getting to another, the other side of the world and seeing that God is at work there too. Hey, it's amazing. And so I'm excited that I get to talk to to you about it today. Um, And I I thought that part of the way for us to to best understand um, kind of how uh, or why God has called us to to this is kind of understanding our story um, and how we we got to to make a commitment to invest long-term in sub-Saharan Africa. And um, it it started nearly 10 years ago uh, when a team got on a plane they had, heard about, they had read about, and they had prayed about, um, a disease that was just um, ripping families apart and ripping communities apart. Um, And it was the AIDS pandemic. And and, and this team got on a plane and they decided to go to Malawi. Um, And when they got there, they they met people, people just like us, Um, people that that um, similar to us, but in conditions that none of us in this room will will more than likely ever face in our lives. And they saw these conditions, but they began to build relationships. They got to know the people. And one day they were walking in the village um, and they were laughing and, and talking and more likely holding hands because in Africa you just hold hands uh, and walk to different places. It's kind of awkward at the beginning, but then it gets really it, something intimate as you're walking uh, and you're holding hands and you're talking. Uh, so it was about this relationship, and they they get to a well, and, and the well uh, it, it was this well in particular was one of the um, the places that they found the cleanest water, and um, and, and and so they. They told the team um, that we're no longer using that well and, um, because somebody drowned in the well. Um, and they, they continued to tell the story, but it wasn't in, that somebody drowned there accidentally. Uh, is that a lady had thrown herself in the well because she was diagnosed with HIV and didn't think that there was hope for her life. And it was at that moment that we had a decision to make. We could say, this is just how things are. This is just the way things are. Or we could say, we need to do something about this. And it was at that moment that we also saw that it wasn't the, fa- the lack of, of health or help that caused this lady to jump into this well. It was the loss of hope. You see that AIDS had robbed her of hope and whether it's because of lack of help or health or hope, neither are acceptable. And it was at that moment that we said, we wanna do something long-term to eradicate, to stop the AIDS pandemic. We want to be a part, we want to participate with God in this long shot. And it was a long shot. You, the, the, the only about 11% of the world's population lives in sub-Saharan Africa, yet 71% of those infected with AIDS live in, live in that small region. So there are 35 million people that are infected with AIDS and 23 million of them live in places like Ethiopia and Uganda and Kenya and Malawi, places where we partner in. And those statistics, I mean, put us face to face with the question of us: we are going to say, that's just the way things are. And if we can't change everything, we're not going to try to change anything. If we can't control everything, then there's, not, there's, there's nothing worth in us trying to change anything. Or we, c- we could say, we want to believe in what could be and should be. We want to believe in something that is good, and something that is so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. And so we made a choice. But I think this is a decision that we face in our lives on a day-to-day basis. It's a decision that when we see something, we can either say, that's just how it is, or we can choose to believe God. I love this passage in Jeremiah because Jeremiah is faced with this same decision. A little bit of a different context. Jeremiah um, is a is w- w- what is referred to as one of the major prophets in Scripture, and um, he's kind of preaching and ministering in in a unique time. He's kind of in between kind of the golden age of King Josiah, where he came in and he had a desire to restore the temple um, to worship God, the one and only God, and so he came in and he stripped it of it of all the idols, and so he's in between that phase that 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 season in the life of Israel um, and the season where under King uh, Hezekiah where uh, the Babylonians are about to to conquer them. And so he kind of sits in in between and this, and it's kind of um, in chapter one, we see that that God tells him, hey, I I, I made you in your mother's womb. And he he says, hey, do not fear because I'm going to give you the words to speak. And I want you to go and I want you to speak about God's love and how people should turn back to their God. But in verse 32, in chapter 32, we see that things have kind of changed a little bit. And he finds himself locked up in a jail. He finds himself in a jail because he had been prophesying, he had been saying that Jerusalem would be overtaken by the Babylonians. And the king at that time was like, hey, that's a little bit of a downer message that I don't want people to know. Um, And so he locked him up and he finds himself. And the reality of his circumstances is that he was in jail. He himself saying that they're about to be conquered with no hope and no future. And he says this, Verse Chapter 32, verse 6, you can look in your Bible. I think there's only one verse of this in your bulletin, so it may not help you right now. But Verse 6 of chapter 32 says, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anathis, because as the nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guards and said, buy the field at Anathis in the territory of Benjamin since it is your right to redeem and possess it. Buy it for yourself. Can, can you, and I know it's, it's tough to imagine this, but can you imagine that happening? He is sitting in a jail. He himself is saying that they're about to be conquered. And the Lord tells him, hey, I want you to buy this field. I want you to invest in something that's longer term than the reality of your current circumstances. And Jeremiah has a choice he has a choice to live in his current realities, which is prison, poor, in a city that's about to be destroyed. He could have easily said, you know what? I'm going to pass. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the market right now for foreign-occupied destroyed land. Um, probably not a good investment for me to make um, because it, it, seem, it would seem like this is a long shot. Um, It would seem like this isn't a good investment. It would seem like a waste of my money, my time, all of my resources. Because things just don't seem to be moving in that direction. Or he could choose to see a reality that was not yet present. He could choose to be a visionary. He could choose to invest in a long shot. And maybe God would do something amazing through that investment. Like I said, this is a decision we all face. Even if it's in the context of investing in our kids, investing in our marriage. God calls him to invest in a long shot, and he had a choice to make. He could say, no, thanks, or he could say, sign me up, I'm in. Verse 8 continues on and says, I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathis for my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy. I gave this deed to Barak, Barak, which is a cool name. Um, It's actually Baruch, sorry. Baruch, which if I had another son, which I don't think we are, um, Baruch would be a pretty cool name. Son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and the witnesses who had signed the deed and all the Jews sitting in the courtyard, in their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Jeremiah is in prison. He's unable to control anything. And he buys a field. He buys a long shot. And he doesn't just buy it. He goes through the work of ensuring that that it would be properly passed on. He signs the deed, has it witnessed, has a sealed copy, an unsealed copy, puts it in a jar of clay so it'll last a long time. Jeremiah doesn't invest speculatively in a piece of land. He was trusting his God. He was trusting that if he invested in this as God had told him to, God would do amazing things. Homes, vineyards, life, community would one day happen there again. And the the beautiful thing is that he chose to believe that. He chose to believe in a God who restores and redeems. He chose to believe in a God who can do amazing things when we just simply trust him and take the next step. For Jeremiah was buying a piece of land. What does it look like for us to invest in a long shot? To join God in making things right. Well, part of it for us looks like putting ourselves in places to care for those that go unnoticed and uncared but should. And so uh, there's a a U.N. report that came out that that talked about this, and it says, the immense scale of AIDS-related illness and death is weakening governance capacities for service delivery, with serious consequences on food security, economic growth, and human development. In other words, the fact that 6,000 people die every day from AIDS-related illnesses, the fact that one in three people in sub-Saharan Africa are undernourished, and the fact that only 20% of girls in that region have access to education, are all related. And so what we've done is we've sought to, to take a, a multifaceted approach to uh, the partners that we, that we work with in those countries in East Asia, that are doing, and so we partner with organizations that are doing God-honoring work. Here's a map of the different areas in the, in the, um, and the organizations that we partner with. We partner in areas of food sustainability, creating economic viability, caring for those directly affected by AIDS, church planting, caring for vulnerable children through sponsorship so that they can have the food, the education, the spiritual care that they need. And it's not just in Malawi, it's in other countries like Kenya, had the opportunity uh, two years ago to go to Kenya and be a part of um, a church planter's conference that one of our partners, Nairobi Chapel, puts on. And it was unbelievable. There were 600 people there that were, ha- were raising their hands to go plant churches in Africa. Unbelievable. For those that have been a part of church plants, you know how hard that can be. And they were saying, here I am, send me. We can choose to see something like the AIDS pandemic and say, this, this isn't a long shot, Sam. This is, a, this, is, this is more than a long shot. This isn't investing. It's, it's actually gambling. Well, I want to let you know that there's been some amazing progress made uh, in this front. Um, since, since the time that the team stood over that well, 2005 to 2013, um, AIDS-related deaths in, in sub-Saharan Africa have fallen by 39%. Down 63% in Ethiopia, 60% in Kenya, 51% in Malawi. And new infections are down 33% over all this region. The AIDS pandemic that once brought the world to its knees is now bringing people to their feet. And the hands and feet of Jesus, us, the church, we are uniquely we're uniquely positioned because here's the thing. Government agencies can prov- and nonprofits can provide help, but it is only the body of Christ through Jesus that we can bring a message of hope. It is only through the church, people going, building relationships in the name of Christ that hope gets ushered in to dark places that light can shine. That's why we can't sit back and say, oh, this government is doing this or this this agency is doing this because the reality is is that the loss of hope claims more lives than often the lack of help. And so as his hands and his feet, we want to be about bringing both. We want to bring the help to meet specific and individual needs and we want to bring a message of hope that brings about dignity to every person in every life, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. See, God is doing something unbelievable in sub-Saharan Africa, and he's invited us to be a part of it. One of um, the aspects of our vision is to reach lost people. And I think that we have so much to learn by our brothers and sisters in Africa. We have so much to learn. The early church and some of our church fathers came from Africa. The reality is, is that Christianity has exploded there. And sometimes I think we should jump on a plane and learn about what they're doing. So we can bring that revival back here as well. And so I'm asking you to do something because you knew that was coming. right? I'm asking you to invest and I'm asking you to invest yourself. You I'm asking you to simply think about, pray about what it would mean for you to build relationships with our partners, with those that God has called us to love in Africa. What got me fired up about this was in 2012, I was a part of one of the teams that went to Malawi with Children of the Nations and we went and we put on a special needs camp that year um, for children with special needs and their caregivers. And I want you to meet a friend of mine. This is Felix. Um, and uh, you'd probably call him Felix, but we, I call him Felix because that's how they pronounce it. And um, the, the neat thing is that a few years prior, the uh, Summit team had gone and had put on the first special needs team. Um, and so we were building upon what they had done and um, my wife and I got to meet Felix. And uh, he, he was just such a cute little boy. Uh, he's like five or six in this picture. At that time, he was like 18 months old. Um, and he was holding on to his mom. And we got to know his mom and build relationships with her. And um, she talked about uh, we asked her you know, if it was tough uh, raising a child with albinism in the village. Um, and she began to tell us that it was really hard because there's so much culturally that's involved when you have a child who is albino. Um, Many of the villages, there's like magic and and, and things that that they believe happen when you have a child with albinism. And, And she admitted that she considered terminating his life because she knew how hard it was going to be to raise that child in the village. But I'm so thankful that COTN, Children of the Nations, one of our partners, uh, did work in her village. um, And they encouraged her to keep Felix. This is Felix's dad. Got the opportunity uh, to meet his dad. Uh, Felix loves soccer. Um, And um, it was at that point that I realized, man, had that group at that well not said, we are going to invest in this long term. We're talking it was seven years later and I got the opportunity to meet and love on Felix. I want to be a part of what God is doing there because I don't want to hear another story about a lady in a well. I don't want to hear stories of moms who are considering... Terminating the life of their child because he's not quote-unquote normal. We have a decision to make whether we're going to say it is okay, that's just how it is, or whether we're going to truly believe in a long shot. Since we've gone in those 10 years, nearly 600 of us of our family here from Summit have gone and Created relationships in Africa. Nearly 300 ch- children have been sponsored through child sponsorship in the uh, with the with the partners that we have that do child sponsorship. And the neat part about this is that um, there is one village that Summit families sponsor about 85% of the kids there. Um, and when you go and you say you're from Summit Church, they're like, "Oh, Summit Church," and they take you to the to their child and they're like, "Do you know um, Glenn and and I'm like, no, Glenn, is her sponsor? And, they, and I'm like, Summit's a pretty big church. And so they asked me if I know each one of their sponsors, uh, the, the, the folks that sponsor their child. But it's beautiful because I can sense that they know that we're coming back and that there's a relationship that's built there. You know, what, um, what gets me is that that day when we, When that team stood at that well um, just days prior, the team had toured a state-of-the-art facility providing care for people who have HIV AIDS, not but 10 minutes away from that village. And so it was a lack of hope that that lady had when she jumped in that her life was worth anything that her life could have any significance or meaning that caused her to to jump in that well. And we, the conduits, the most transforming message to ever come to earth, the gospel, we are so uniquely gifted to be able to share that with this world. And so... I want to invite you to the information meeting that's happening right after this service. It's simply taking the step. It may not be that you join one of the teams, and coming to the meeting does not in any way imply that you're going to go to one of the teams. But I just want you, I want to invite you to learn more, to learn about our partners, to be praying for those that will be going, to possibly look at sponsorship. Because, like Jeremiah, we have a decision to make as individuals. We choose to see the rea- and live in our existing and current realities, or will we be a part of what God wants to do? Jamie Buckingham, an author, writes this quote. He says that dare to do something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. Dare to do something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. I want to invite you to dare with me and with those that have gone before us.